Have you ever been in love? Have you ever thought of being in love? Well, there's all different kinds of love. Pamela Miller is so much in love that she's going to demonstrate how much in love that she is by providing a much-needed element of... Calm yourself, Pamela. <laughs> Howdy folks, this is Scott Parker, and you're listening to another fabulous episode of the ZappaCast, the official Frank Zappa podcast, and uh, of course, with me as always is our producer, Phil Circus. Hey, ZappaCast listeners. And the world's most polite drummer, Joseph Travers, the Maltmeister. <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> and uh, our most special guest this evening, and possibly the most special guest we've ever had on this show. A woman that you all truly do know and truly do love, an absolute legend, the indisputable queen of the groupies, and a woman whose visage only gets more beautiful with each passing year, the incredible Pamela Debar. Hello, all you Zappophiles out there. I totally get it. (laughs) As well you should. You lived it. You lived it. Yes, I know. I'm one of the lucky few. So we had the opportunity to hear the 200 Motels box, and we had the opportunity to read your liner notes. Yay. And they are incredible, of course. Best liner uh, notes written of anything. It was so good. (laughs) Thank you. You know, it it always helps to have been a participant rather than hearing it from someone else. So, you know, I, I always like to write about myself. Because I was there. <laughs> That's right. You were kind of everywhere, actually. But yeah, you certainly were there at Pinewood. And you went through that whole thing. And, you know, the liner notes are just incredible. Like, you, they really do bring you there. Oh, good. That was my, that was the reason I really was happy Amit asked me to do that. Because I did want to bring people there. It was a, a world unto itself. You know, a brief <laughs> world that, you know, will never come again. <laughs> It's on record and it's on film and I'm really happy about that. Yeah. There's some really nice unseen photos too in the package uh, of you actually. Oh, really? Pamela. Yeah. Oh, Which fabulous. is really great. You know, you know, stuff that, that was shot on set during the filming and all that stuff. And uh, okay. yeah, it's, 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 it's a really nice package. It's a, it's a great way to celebrate, you know, the 50th anniversary of this 50th thing. I know. Isn't it crazy? 50 years. But you know, if, if anything, Pamela, you are even more beautiful now. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> you know, Zoom is very uh, flattering. Have you looked, have you noticed that about Zoom? <laughs> so I have a, a question. When you did that whole thing, the two hundred hotels thing, I think I got this impression from the liners. But was that the first time that you actually met Keith Moon? Yes. Ah, oh, yeah. Really? Oh yeah. Okay. And he, we hit it off so much. He became one of my main dudes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he carried me off the set. Right. At the end, yeah. <laughs> Much to the jealousy of Howard Kalen, which is hilarious, too. He, he, he writes about that in his book. He was like, I was so jealous. <laughs> well, he and I had a real thing going, too. You know, we really did. But at this, at that time, I was seeing two other men. So I didn't wind up with Keith at that point. It was about probably a year later when he came to town with The Who and called the house when I was living with the Zappas. 
looking yes. for me. I know that Gail really loved Keith, honestly. She always told me that he was one of her absolute favorites. He stayed there with me. One, one morning, you know, I, I would stay up literally all night with him. And there was a little intercom in my guest house and Moon would, you know, time for breakfast. And I'm, oh my God, I just <laughs> laid down. And I had to go in there and make her and Dweezil's breakfast. And Keith got up one morning and came in there with me and entertained those kids like they've probably never been entertained before. <laughs> I believe it. Oh, yeah. my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. So you'd never run across the who prior to that? Because they, by the time 71 rolls around, they'd had Tommy. They were, you know, you could make the argument that they were the biggest live band around at that point that maybe wasn't the Stones. You know, I, I had not actually seen them, no. And I had my other favorites. You know, I, I would, I, you know, you can't do everything That's true. As, much, as much as I tried. But of course, then I became a, a big fan of the who after that. And in fact, he took me on stage with him when they did Tommy at, at Universal, I think it was in L.A. And he wouldn't let me be on the side of the stage. I had to stand next to the drum kit for the entire show. <laughs> Inspiration. Yeah, exactly. You know, people, people, you know. They disparage the word groupie, but you know, I am uh, groupies are very important to these men and women, and you know, there are also male groupies, not as many, but yeah, he wanted me there because he he just did. And no matter what I said, just kind of kind of stand over here, nope, right here, right here. So the so the that audience got to see me the whole time. Yes, yes. I wish wow. there were some photos. I'd love to see photos of that for sure. There must sure. be some. You haven't run into anything like that in your in. The you know, I keep of... people keep sending me interesting pictures through the years. You know that I've never seen. I, yeah. I can't wait to see these two hundred motels ones. Yeah, this it's 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 really nice. It's a great great package. Do you have any idea what this album can do to your mind? Played at the proper volume in a pair of earphones. <laughs> the soundtrack album from Frank Zappa's Two Hundred Motels. By the way, have you seen the movie yet? And of course, I'm so excited about the GTOs. The potential of that coming out again, and and I know you found some really wonderful, you know, recorded amazing things. things. Yeah, <laughs> oh, amazing, oh, totally amazing. And I wish that, um, you know, that we could get together sooner than later so that we can have a little listening session with you and and play you some of the things that we found. Oh my, I cannot wait for that anytime, yeah. Joe. We're kind of like going a little crazy right now in the Zappa world with um, projects uh, that we need to finish and deliver. But once the GTOs project becomes like it rises to the top and becomes a super priority, the first thing that we want to do is have you come over so that we can start sharing some of the things that, you know, I've found in that um, Holland, you know, Holland is, is yes. very much a part of that. And, She's coming um, over tomorrow to help me look for some more stuff. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. And she's she's found some really great pictures in the vault. And I've I've of course found some great audio stuff. So yeah, that record it, it, it has to come out again. It just has to. I remember you telling me that you found inter an interview with that Frank was talking asking the GTOs questions about our lives. And you know, since you told me that, I remember him doing that. I remember him just 
standing there in front of us and we had to answer all these questions about what the heck we were up to and why we were doing what we're doing and who we were and everything. Yeah. And man, we were kids. So yeah. I'm really, I was 19 years old. So I'm really looking forward to hearing that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, yeah. and the, you know, there was times where you guys were in the studio and um, there was this really cool session that you guys did where you had these little written things and then you were to improvise on those little written things right on the spot and it was all of all of you of girls together yeah <laughs> all of you girls together and it was like it's literally two reels of you guys just going crazy talking about all sorts of different stuff and it's really really entertaining to hear Christine and Sandra and um oh I can't wait all my lost girls yeah Cinderella and it's pretty historical yeah, I know. The whole thing's historical. Frank always had that ability to say, wait a minute, this is an important little scene here. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to capture it. And, you know, that's just how he worked. It, it really gave him a lot of joy to to pull stuff out of us all, who we really were, you know, and somehow save it. I hope that I shall never see all the moke monsters lined up in front of me. True repulse and total disgust. Getting rid of moke is an imperative must. These are just to name a few. We hope they don't influence you. Moke Monster. Yonder comes a soft car, which probably won't take me very far. The organ grinder behind the wheel is hoping he can score a feel. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I'd love to hear Miss Mercy talk. I just love to hear her talk. <laughs> she was so adorable. She was just so fast. Like, well, her and Christine were often on speed, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's funny. I was watching uh, Rainbow Bridge, the, oh, the Hendrix movie. Yes. Yep. I was like, oh, my God, it's Mercy. She's in the crowd. Yeah. I, for some reason, didn't know that she was there, but you can't miss her. I mean, nobody looked like Mercy ever. She had such a unique style. <laughs> nobody ever did. And no. she, she hung out with Hendrix there. You know, they were all on acid and everything. She has some great stories about that. And in her book, you know, her book is out now. Yes, I just finished it's it. It's just fantastic. It's a lot of praise for Frank, of course. It's great. Yeah, and Joe, is there much uh, more stuff in the vault with Lucy from the GTOs period? Oh, yeah. Because, oh, sure. Is there? Oh, sure. Because speaking of 200 Motels, of course, Lucy was, uh, she had a pretty prominent role in 200 Motels, but I always wanted to hear more of her on the album. <laughs> well, well, you know the story about that because Sparky and her had fallen in love and, you know, and they decided that the, we were too commercial. So that's the exact reason. It's right in my diaries. I yep. couldn't believe it. You know, Lucy absconded with Sparky. They went to New York and left the band because we were too commercial. And, you know, was there any more uncommercial project ever made? Yeah, I mean, right. I don't right. think so, especially with girls at that time. So, right. So we lost them. So we lost them early on. So that's why there's not more of them. Although Sparky and I were called in after everybody got busted um, to, to, to do the spoken word stuff. And that's how that happened. We thought that he was going to shelve it. And it was so depressing. And we, he thought better of it, which I was very happy. Okay. I was in London when I heard that. And then Sparky and I went in and uh, she was back from New York at this time. And they didn't get married, her and Lucy. So uh, she and I, you know, did the spoken word stuff of the original songs. And there's a lot of outtakes of that. Wow. Yeah, which is really fantastic. And 
there's a really great reel of tape that you're not on, but but you would love to hear it. It's I think it's at Sunset Sound, and it's Pamela Zarubica and Lucy and Bernardo and is it Carlos? Fabulous, yes, the BTOs. Yeah, the two of them, and uh, and Frank is in there for a little while uh, talking to him, and Bernardo's all dressed up in Christine's clothing, and you can oh, hear their bracelets rattling over the microphone <laughs> as they're talking and stuff. Oh, oh it's, it's I can't really wait to hear great. them. I was very close with Carlos. He was my favorite BTO. We we were really close. We all went dancing all the time. A BTO is, is the, the opposite of a, of a GTO. Only they get in there more sexually than we do. Mm-hmm. There, it means boys together often, occasionally, occasionally openly, organically, outwardly, or outrageously. All those O's. That's what a BTO is. And, you know, in those days, I mean, that's why, I mean, everybody was allowed to be who they were for a very brief period in time. And Frank captured it. I'm glad. That's just, it. it's stunning. I, I've actually been treating my daughter to the GTOs every morning for about the last, uh, I don't know, month or so. <laughs> I I just, I, I keep drilling in her head. You know, you have to, you know. What does she think of it? She actually loves it. She oh, really does. Cool. Circular Circulation being her, of course, her favorite track. Circular Circulation, I circle continuously to prepare myself for memories and avatar with me. But it's such an amazing album. I mean, look at the, the talent, you know, the musical talent that you worked with on that album. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people think Davy Jones was the monkey. And of course, that's not the case. He was my friend. He was a big, beautiful, gay black guy. And he wrote the music to the Ooh Ooh Man. Yep. And I believe Circular Circulation. He was part of that music. And Really? And yeah, Lowell, and George, Lowell George, too, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Lowell George. We were very tight with him. Yeah. yeah. He had a crush on me, but I, it just didn't work out. Who did it? <laughs> Who didn't have a crush on you? I don't know. I never thought about it like that, you know. You knew people like Noel Redding and uh, Jimmy Page. I mean, you know, what what <laughs> chance did poor Lowell have? You know. Oh, <laughs> I did love him. He wrote me a song. He wrote a song for me and sent me all the lyrics, and it's so beautiful. And I tried to get it in my book, but his family, he had passed on, said no. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. But Davy Jones wanted to be my roommate. This was a big upheaval in my family. He was gay and he was black. And my father came from the South and he wasn't having it. He said, you cannot have that guy as your roommate. And my mom, who was always on my side, insisted that I could if I wanted to. And he, he said he was going to, you know, she would leave him if I if, if he wouldn't allow that. That was big. That was a big thing in my family. People forget way back then that, kind of crap was happening you know it's still happening right yes absolutely maybe more than ever yeah (laughs) well they've crawled out from under their rocks sadly yes of course Mm -hmm. as they do but what my daughter said about it was she said this is probably the first the earliest example of female empowerment you know in terms of an album you know oh yeah well frank empowered us yeah as females because we wouldn't have thought of that we were dancers we were a dance troupe that had broken off from another crazy dance troupe, Vito and his people. 
as the Laurel Canyon Ballet Company. And then he just thought our lives were so interesting and fascinating because we'd sit at his knee and regale him of all of our goings on. And he just thought we should, you know, it was important enough to write songs and save us for posterity. (laughs) And at that time, it was so new, wasn't it? I mean, it was just new. It was a new movement. It was a new thing. It was a new and brief thing. Yeah. Because uh, there was no one like him, you know, around. uh, And there never will be and there there never was. So it was a brief time where he opened his home and his heart to all of us characters. And, you know, made something happen with us. I mean, who else would have recorded Wild Man Fisher? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Now, of course, you knew Larry, mm-hmm. Wild Man Fisher. Yes. That must have been an interesting experience, to put it mildly. <laughs> well, I knew him even before he worked with Frank because he was on the street. On the he was street, on the street. And he would sing his songs on the corners. Miami Beach. What a beach. Everybody's going surfing. At Miami Beach, Melrose Cove. He didn't have shoes. He didn't have a mind, actually. I mean, he was so far gone. I mean, nowadays, I don't know what they, he I, was probably schizophrenic. But, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. yeah. But in those days, everyone was accepted if they were nutty, if they were freaks, if they were on the street with us. He was accepted. So, you know, we'd sometimes try to bypass him, you know, but but we were always kind to him. And most people were, you know, and uh, he was just someone on the scene. Now, I have to ask you this, Pamela, um, Jonna, Miss Jonna. Yeah. She in the tapes that I hear, she seemed like she was pretty connected to Wild Man Fisher. I don't know about that. Okay, But okay. she later became very connected to Jimi Hendrix's ghost. Uh, oh yeah, she used to carry a flip book around w- with all the his different facial expressions and talk to it, and then flip to the right expression. <laughs> oh no, no, I I never seen anything like it. Jana was an original GTO, although she wasn't really in the band or anything. She was right. one of the Laurel Canyon Ballet Company, and Frank's mm-hmm. got her on tape, even on the album. Yes, uh, because she was. Very special, but she did flip her lid later in life and thought she was married to Jimmy's ghost. So, wow. yeah, I took her to his gravesite for the first time. I have photos of it. Wow. Really? Yeah. Incredible. Have you ever been to Frank and Gail's uh, site? Only when uh, when Gail was lowered on top of Frank. That's the best thing I've heard Ahmed ever say. Yeah, I know. That was amazing. I was there for that. Uh. Gail is where she's always wanted to be on top of Frank. <laughs> and it really broke the somberness of the of the occasion. Absolutely. He knew just what to say. Yeah. I haven't been back there since either. No, I don't visit graves, you, you know, usually. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't been to my parents once because I know they're not residing there, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, totally. <laughs> I've written five books and I'm writing a sixth and seventh right now. One is about the wife of a very, very important long lost rock God. She's telling her story that I'm actually writing for her. 
And uh, the other one is my third memoir, Sex, God, and Rock and Roll. It's about my spiritual life, uh, which is ongoing as, uh, alongside my rock and roll life. And uh, I teach women's writing workshops all over the world and on Zoom now. And I do rock and roll tours of Laurel yeah, I was going to ask you if you were if you were still doing those because oh, I, yeah. I want I want to go to one of those. They always sell out, and uh, sometimes I get Frank fanatics. Sometimes I get B fart fanatics. Pretty rarely, I'm always trying to turn people on to him. And, you know, I met him in high school, so that's how nutty I got back then. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Captain B fart record? Well, I love the first one, "Safe as Milk," because I was the the fan club president for the Valley chapter for that record. But Trout Mask is my favorite. Yeah. But I love Bad Chain Puller too. I remember sitting on Don's yeah. lap in, in Frank's basement and he played that for me on his lap. Wow. I don't know how many people can say that. Not many. <laughs> <laughs> Not many. Bad Chain I'm always trying to turn people onto Don and Graham Parsons, who I was crazy about and have high, high, high respect for from those days. So, you know, I enjoy it, but I take them to regular places too. But we always go by the cabin and I tell them the story of us meeting Frank and, you know, him asking us to write the songs and how we were, you know, up in the bowling alley above the dead horse and everything at Tom Mix's house. It's quite a story. I mean, so they're they're kind of enthralled. So I have become a talking head. I also have a column at pleasekillme.com. I do yep. have one about Frank and Don that I'm very proud of. So, because, you know, I met Don in high school. So that's an unalterable moment. That's something that happens once in your lifetime where all of a sudden you're someone else. Yes. Because he saw me. He saw me as someone else. He looked me up and down and said, wow, you're a gas. I wish there were more people like you on the planet. <laughs> when, really? I'm a gas. What does that mean? <laughs> I was 16 years old. Okay, I'm a gas. Oh, so great. Right. If he it's says so you are, you are. <laughs> His cousin, Victor Hayden, the mascara snake, went to my yes. hospital. That's how that happened. Yeah, you were really tight with Victor, weren't you? You guys yeah, we were really were good friends. Best, best, best friends. Yeah, you know? yeah. His paintings are still around, you know, the uh, my office where I work. And, you know, there's a huge painting of his hanging on the wall. Is there? I wonder which yeah. one. I it's, I it's orange. It's It's got this like huge orange thing happening. Oh. It's orange and white. It's really cool. I represent his art. I've got a thousand pieces of it. If you guys know anybody who, who would like to give Victor Hayden, the mascara snake, a show, let me know. Oh, yeah, that should happen. Yeah, I've got that him. should happen. I've got them amazing ones. And I have one that Don did of Victor. Oh, oh really? Wow. That, you know, would be a wonderful door opener, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. Yeah, actually, there's two of them. One with Victor's real long hair and one with when he, when he pretended to be normal with his short hair. Pretended to be normal. Hey, now, hey, now, hey, now. I, I can kiss your thigh. I was telling Joe just before uh, we got on that I just saw a Pamela double feature because I, I just rewatched 200 Motels and I saw the Sparks documentary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you were excellent. I'm not in, in that very much, but I'm in the DVD a lot more. 
Yeah. I haven't seen that yet. I have. I want to see it. I saw the Velvet Underground documentary recently, and I uh, love being in Frank's and Sparks documentaries because it shows what fucking great taste I have. <laughs> you do. You do have fucking great taste. That's right. You're one of the rare people who have been on Frank's inner circle for a long time. And I was watching 200 Motels again, and I see Ringo Starr is there and Keith Moon. I was just wondering what Frank thought of, like, The Who. <laughs> you know, did Frank ever listen to The Who? Or I never Frank? heard him listen to The Who. The only stuff I ever heard him listen to was his own music. Really. Because he was always working on it. He was always in the basement, and you always had to be real careful when you went down there. You had to make sure it was okay. You know, even Moon had to, you know, make an appointment. So, you know, yeah. that, that's what he was up to all the time. And he was never impressed. You know, Mick Jagger came over. I brought Noel Redding up there. He liked meeting the people, but he, mm. he was, he did not act impressed. And I don't think he was impressed. What's that line <laughs> you know? that you, you said, if you could get Frank to slap his knee while he was laughing, then you, you know, you got, you know, you did something special. We would do almost anything to get him to that point because he would, beat on his knee, he would beat on his knee and just laugh and laugh and laugh. And, you know, you would just look so forward to that moment. And he would also pick you up and crack your back, which any of his good friends knew he would, he would pick you up and give you an adjustment before I even knew what a chiropractor was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I've ever heard that before. That's yeah. freaking hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. He would pick you up. And squeeze you so hard. He knew just how to do that. All the way up your spine. Wow. It's pretty great. It sounds like he would almost make music out of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe that's what he was doing. He could yes. hear something we couldn't hear. <laughs> One of my favorite moments of, of, of Frank being near him was in the cabin. And he had his big baby grand in front of the fireplace. And he was composing. And we were just sitting there, the girls, and I would look over at him and he would he would look up in the air and then write the notes down. And I thought, wow. Unbelievable. That is some kind of cosmic, uh, you know, attachment to the universe that I don't know about. You know, I was really touched by that always whenever I could catch a glimpse of that. It's an absolute gift he had. Yeah, yeah. He could hear that shit in the air. Yep. You know, and... Pluck it out, just like he did with the people around him. Turn it into something. Well, it's almost like a spiritual thing, right? Like he was channeling something, something yeah, was oh, yeah. through him. All yeah. great art. I've, all the people I know, even Dylan says, you know, he doesn't know where it comes from. Yep. So that's, yeah, exactly. When you look up in the air and then it comes to you, there's, you know, it's the same with writing or any great art, you know. Well, this is a personal question, and, and we don't even have to have this on the podcast, but I'm just wondering, you know, you had mentioned that you were writing something about your spiritual sense, and how do you categorize it? Do you Are you into any certain kind of religion or Buddhism or just, I mean, do you is there a name for what you're into, or do you just kind of, is it a free-for-all? <laughs> I've been into it all. I started with being born again at nine years old and went through every possible 
religion, spiritual movement, uh, Krishnamurti, Paramahansa Yogananda, I mean, all the Indians. And now I'm, and I had my spiritual teacher, Light, who Gail knew real well, uh, and Moon, worked with her for years. And she was my teacher for 33 years. She died earlier this year. It was a big loss. But right after that, someone turned me on to Zen Buddhism, Nichiren, you know, Japanese Buddhism, which I'm into now. And I'm chanting Namioho Renge Kyo for the whole universe. And <laughs> so since you've had experience with all those different ones for so many years, do, would you agree that they kind of all connect to each other in, in a way? They're all saying the same thing. Uh-huh. All the great masters are saying, don't listen to your ego. Your true self is your soul is your higher self, your true, whatever you want to call it. You know, the universe, it's all one thing. And all the humanity, all the animals, everything, it's one thing. And as soon as we realize that, that, you know, there really is nothing to separate, we'll all get along. (laughs) You know, it'll it'll all be okay. So you just can't listen to the negative shit. One, you know, the angel and the devil, that's, it's all the, it's all that. They all say that. When you, and you bring your fellow humans with you to the good place. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, yes, they all say the same thing. That's and great. that's probably going to be the thrust, shall we say, of the book, is that all this studying keeps bringing me back to the same place. Me, my true self. Yeah. Are you still going to do your podcasts? Oh, yeah, I'm doing them. Great. I, I just did, uh, yesterday I did my goddaughter. I talked to my goddaughter, Polly Parsons, Graham's daughter. She has a new project called Sound as Ever about some lifestyle brand of her dad uh, featuring her father's, you know, sensibilities. So, yeah, I've known her her whole life. The only people I've known their entire lives are the Zappa children and Polly Parsons. That's incredible. Michael and I were there the night Amit was born. I met Moon when she was six months old. And, of course, Dweezil right away. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I've known Diva since she was a little baby, too. So it's, you know, it's pretty amazing. They're such a special family, you know. They, you oh, know. yes. Yes, yeah. indeed. Yep. I'm adopting, uh, I'm adopting you as my personal guru, Pamela. I'm oh. going to now, I'm just going to digest everything you say. And, you know, I'll, I'll just take that, you know, we'll, we'll make it a religion. Okay. All right. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. You know, you know, there's a word I have for maybe even me, guru P. Ah! <laughs> Yeah, nice. I like that. I was going to call it "Confessions of a Guru P." I, I may put that somewhere. Maybe a chapter heading. T-shirt. <laughs> I want a T-shirt. I want a T-shirt too. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because you know, whenever you talk to like you know, particularly male Zappa fans, and say like you know who who's your teenage crush, it's either Ruth or Pamela. Yeah. Oh yeah? yeah, always. Ruth and I should do a duet or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting is that you you both wrote amazing liner notes for the Toronto Motels package. Yay! Yes. Please give her my love. Oh, yeah, I will. Tell her I said we should do a duet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ruth, if you're listening to Zappacast, please. <laughs> Well, we, well, there's a great um, scene in one of the uh, extras on the Roxy DVD where your job was to, uh, I, I think the word was sensualize the band members. Hey, I was very was... upset with Frank about that. Were you really? Because he did not tell me he was going to tell them to ignore me. Oh. Yeah. 
So I was making, I mean, I'm over it now, but I mean, I was making a fool of myself up there. I was making a fool of myself. Not, well, I guess they couldn't respond. They were playing. But I mean, it was like, I was getting no attention from any of them. And I was really. How do you know that Frank said ignore her? One of them must have told me afterwards. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll tell you right now, when you watch that, Ralph is, is ear to ear smiling, which is hilarious. And, and Bruce was just like, oh, you know, <laughs> faltering away. It's great. Well, he, certainly, well, he didn't know. He didn't tell them I was going to do it. Uh, I know that. I know that. Maybe that's why I thought that, that, you know. Okay. Well, you sure are adorable in that scene. I love it. I think it's, I think it's great. Yeah. Thank you. That great. was right before I met my husband, Michael, right before. Yeah, mm, I met really? him like that month or a month later or something. Man, he sure was a sight, man, when he came to Los Angeles on that first Silverhead record. Wow, he was just a gorgeous god. I know. <laughs> he really wow. was. And the Silverhead was a great band. They were yeah. one of those bands that should have been much bigger. Yeah. You know, and, and didn't have all the right elements, you know, business-wise and all that. But, you know, he's, he's, in fact, I was just showing our son, Nick, he's, He's got a huge box set coming out in Japan. They were always big in Japan. Big Silverhead box set about to come out. Yeah. He's a DJ now on, you know, Sirius XM. Oh, good. For seven or eight years. He's he's the biggest one on Little Steven's Underground Garage. He's he's having a great resurgence. And we both are. It's so weird. You know, we're we're best, best friends, too, to this day. And to be this age, I'm 73 years old. And people still want to know what I have to say. Well, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's really incredible. I would never have predicted that. Well, guess what? There's a whole generation of people that are like, you know, they, that would hang on to every word that you say because they fantasize about that time and place. I mean, anyway. I would have I would have loved to have been at Rainbow Bridge hanging out with with uh, all those people, you know, hanging out with Mercy at Rainbow Bridge, watching Hendrix on the side of a crater in a very windy <laughs> day in Hawaii. <laughs> I would have loved it. <laughs> I was very close friends with that guy who made that movie, Chuck Wine. I, he used to be called The Wizard. And, you know, that's part of my second book. I was I became really he's the one who introduced me to Michael. We we're making a movie. I was playing myself and Keith Moon didn't show up and they got Michael in as the last minute. Oh, wow. So Chuck Wine it features heavily in my books because he was really spiritually important to me. He t- turned me on to so many things, you know. Yeah. He's a guy that fascinates me because, you know, I mean, I knew him first, I think, from the Warhol connection. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, because he was in like some of those Warhol films like Beauty Number no. Two and stuff. And then, you know, he was the man behind Rainbow Bridge, which is still a film that I find to be fascinating. It's a really interesting film. Me too. There's a whole new box. There's a whole new release on that, too. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. wonderful. I, I love it. I I'm love in it. that, too. I'm in that documentary. Yeah, too. I know. I know. It's great. Yep. I was in the Foxy Lady video. That that was me. Yes. What? <laughs> the film? The actual film? Well, no, it's a video. Although it was made, it's called a short film. And Alan Davio uh, directed that. And he knew me from the love-ins. And he'd been taking pictures of me. And he asked me if I want to be in a short film with this new band from England. And Holy I said, shit. what do you think? And so I got to dance in that video all day. I was with them all day. That's how I met Noel and wound up with Noel. Because Jimmy hit on me and I was this little virgin girl and I thought, oh, my God. That's amazing. I can't do that. 
That's amazing. That's amazing. Hey, before before we let you go, I have to yes. mention to you that there's one other film out there, people, uh, that you should maybe try and track down, which is really interesting, that has some some golden footage of, of Miss Pamela. And that's that one movie, uh, Pamela, called just simply Groupies. It's a terrible movie. It's a terrible movie. But there's some cute footage of me. There's not a lot because they wanted me to be salacious and I just wasn't going to tell on my, my guys. Yeah, so sure. I'm only in it a little tiny bit. But um, there's some interesting things in that movie outside of the stuff that Pamela's in. And, uh, you know, like uh, Terry Reed. Oh, Terry Reed. Oh, my you God. Know? Wow. And, he was only uh, 18 at the time. He's one of my favorite singers. Yeah. Uh, he was great. I've known him since then. I still know him. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I know. <laughs> so that's a rarity. Go, go, go seek that one out, people. Yeah, you, you can find it on Amazon, actually. Ah, okay. Yeah. And we've, we've got to also have you tell our uh, Zapcast listeners about your uh, podcast and where to find it. I have a podcast called Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party where I just sit on my couch, hopefully. Sometimes we've had to do Zoom with COVID, but they come over, sit on my couch, and we just talk. So it's, you know, I have everybody from Alice. Amazing. Yeah, I love that one. Love it. Yep. Rufus Wainwright, you know, and Dave Alvin. And I mean, I'm about to do Kathy Valentine. Just people I've known wow. through the years. And Mercy, I've got two with Mercy. If you want to know who Mercy is, listen to my podcast. They're unbelievable. <laughs> gold dust. Total gold yeah. dust, those two. Yeah. So, yeah, it's on the, you know, Pantheon podcast. And I've got, I just did my 30th one. And to do Kathy Valentine. Absolutely amazing. I have Moon too. Moon, Moon, Moon. Yeah, Moon. Yeah, I heard the Moon one. Yeah, yeah. I heard. I heard that one. The last question I personally have for you is uh, something very important that I need you to settle. Who was the better live band, the Who or Led Zeppelin? (laughs) (laughs) I think that might be impossible. Except Ah. I'm going to give it to Zepp because Robert, to me, is a more a more sexy front man really yeah interesting oh yeah well yeah i guess you can't really argue with that (laughs) you heard it here first i mean zeppelin in their heyday i mean i don't know if it really gets any better i really don't i got to be on stage with them and all that i know during such an amazing time in their career too you know Uh, robert and jimmy uh went through led zeppelin 2 in my little apartment on alfred street in hollywood to to put the uh the running order there there should be a plaque on that little apartment yeah oh my god God. i I take people to that on my rock tour and they all go oh really that's where that happened yeah so amazing So I'm showing off now. I'm sorry. No, it's no that's good. okay. It's good. <laughs> the, the the words "the deity next door" have come to my mind to describe you. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> you can you can have that one if you want. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm gonna go, dolls. Thank you so um, much. Thank you so thank much. I really appreciate chatting with you. It was a lot of fun. Oh my god, it, it was just an honor. And a total blast. And, uh, you know, if you had told me when I was 19 that I'd get this opportunity, I i don't even know. I probably would have <laughs> smacked myself in the face or something. I don't know what I would have done. But, you know, <laughs> it's an absolute free. blessing. And please <laughs> yeah. come back sometime. We yes, need please. a part two for this. <laughs> okay, good. Part two. <laughs> 
ZappaCast, the official Frank Zappa podcast, is made in cooperation with the Zappa Trust. For the latest Zappa news and more, visit Zappa.com. We're also on Instagram and Twitter at, at Zappa. ZappaCast is created by and is hosted by Scott Parker. Our producer is Phil Circus. Special thanks to Joe Vaultmeister Travers and everyone at the Zappa Trust and Zappa Records. This podcast and all the musical selections contained therein are copyrighted worldwide by the Zappa Trust. All rights reserved, and until next time. Good night, boys and girls. Well, they were interested in the music business anyway, so I said, why don't you sing? And I encouraged them to form a semi-singing performing group that would allow them a vehicle through which to express the, the things that they were doing ordinarily on the street. And I thought it would be nice to give people in the outside world, that is, outside the boundaries of Laurel Canyon, some idea of what was going on with these girls and show the way that they were thinking.